In the name of the one who comes with generous and transformative love. Amen. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. There's an ancient Jewish fable. It's also an Arab folk tale, although I haven't been able to find it in the Christian tradition. It's about two brothers who go to King Solomon to ask the king to solve their inheritance dispute. Within the fable, King Solomon tells the disputing brothers this story. There once was a hill, and on either side of that hill lived two brothers. The elder brother married and had many children, while the younger brother stayed single and lived alone. Now, the brothers farmed a piece of land together in the valley, And each year at harvest time, they divided the harvest in half between the two of them. One year, after the two brothers divided a particularly strong harvest, the elder brother went home and thought, I am so lucky to have a family. But my little brother has no children, no one to provide for him in his old age. I will sneak some of my share into his storage house so that he will be in a better place to save up for his future. Once it was dark, he loaded three big sacks of grain onto his donkey and set out along the valley road to his brother's house. And there he put the three bags and returned home, going to sleep with a smile on his face that night. But in the morning, when he awoke and went to his own storage house, he noticed that the three bags were still there. So he assumed he had dreamed his voyage of the night before, and again, the following night, under the cover of darkness, he delivered three bags of grain to his brother's storage house. This time, he went over the hill rather than through the valley to his brother's house. But again, he awoke in the morning to find his own shelves still full. In the meantime, the younger brother had returned from dividing the harvest on that first day, and he had thought, how simple it is for me living alone. But my elder brother has so many children to feed. We should not have divided the harvest in half. He has so many more people in his home who need to eat. So he, too, decided to secretly bring three bags of grain to his brother's storage house. He took the road over the hill, returned home, and went to sleep smiling, only to wake up and discover that the bags were still there. Confused, he tried again to bring three sacks of grain to his brother, and on the second night, he took the road through the valley. But on the third night, each brother set out determined to give a gift to his brother, who each believed needed it more than himself. 
and this time they each took the road over the hill and, of course, discovered one another. And each understood, their hearts filled with happiness as they realized the love they had both been shown. King Solomon, in telling this story to the feuding brothers of his time, told them that the hill where the generous brothers lived later became the city of Jerusalem. And the spot where they met on that blessed night and discovered each other's generosity, that spot became the site for the holy temple. The King Solomon in this fable and the Jesus of our gospel today are both approached by people full of self-interest, people who have a death grip on what they believe to be theirs and theirs alone, what they believe to be entitled to. And they want King Solomon or Jesus to solve this problem on their side of the argument. Now, neither King Solomon or Jesus engages the conversation as expected. They both rise to a new level. Solomon speaks of the prolific power of generosity, the power of holding the needs of each other at the same priority as our own needs. Jesus speaks of the danger of greed. The man in Jesus' parable builds shiny new barns and fills them with unshared and thus eventually rotting harvest. Those barns may just be one of our most important metaphors for what happens to our souls when we refuse to share what we've got within. And then there are our material resources. Both Solomon and Jesus offer us a way forward that makes the ways in which we, today, use our resources unconscionably in the face of poverty and hunger. I thought about not pointing that out because it could come across as a guilt trip. And we don't really do guilt in the Episcopal Church. I also thought about not mentioning our unconscionable use of resources because to preach against the ways in which we take advantage of our unfair position of having first dibs on much of the world's material, natural, medical, and educational wealth does seem rather hypocritical to me because I gladly take advantage of my privileges every day. Greed can play out in very insidious ways, simply through the perpetuation of societal norms. There are some people today in the public eye who embody greed so pungently that we can be tempted to think that since we're not like that, then the sin of greed does not have a hold on us, too. But it has a grip on me, 
And since I am human, and you all are human, I have a hunch that I'm in good company. We have to name the greed in order to do away with it. The abolition of greed in the world and in ourselves actually requires active and daily work as well, not just naming and a sense of passive hope that it might disappear. And part of that active work in church is that we kneel to confess our sins together every Sunday in community because in so many cases our sins are communal. And naming sin in community gives us accountability. Naming sin also deflates the power of sin. The things that we do and the things that we leave undone are often things that quietly uphold inequality, greed, anger, wrath. Some of the very things that Paul was warning the Colossians of a couple thousand years ago in the letter that we just heard Mr. Davies read. But here's the thing. While we know that we need to name these sins, while we need to know that greed-based sins are in us, that they are societal, that they are primal, and that they are real and present, I don't think we can get rid of them simply by talking about them and feeling bad about our engagements in them. The act of confessing our greed in church is meant to be transformative. We need to replace greed with an antidote to greed that greed cannot coexist with. And the only antidote I know of for greed is generosity. The kind of generosity that is also called love. The kind of generosity that takes into account everyone's basic needs and rights and dignities. The kind of generosity that compels us to see what is left when our own basic needs are met. And rejoice in our opportunity to share what we have been blessed with. To share as an act of gratitude and love. This is the kind of generous way of being that can define us as individuals and as a community as followers of Christ. This is the kind of generosity that Solomon spoke of in his story about the two loving brothers. It is the kind of generosity that chases away not only greed, but also fear and prejudice. It is a generosity of thought and action that causes us to go to sleep at night full of a sense of purpose and joy and awake in the morning surprised by the persistent abundance of God's love. This is the generosity that we are invited to take part of every Sunday as we gather to listen and be with one another, to learn and to break bread and as we are then sent out into the world to embody the very love that we have been shown by the generous grace of God. Amen.